The Free for All Roundtable. Brought to you by Lexus Avon, Canada's newest Lexus dealer. Near Canada's Wonderland in the Maple Auto Mall. Luxury is closer than you think. Round one. On round one, Vas Bednar is here, Executive Director of the Master of Public Policy degree in Digital Society at McMaster University. Toronto lawyer Courtney Betty of Betty's Law. And Jerry Agar is here from The Jerry Agar Show. Okay, so let's start with politics. The Doug Ford Cabinet Minister, Parm Gill, is quitting as an MPP and Cabinet Minister to run for the federal Conservatives. And Jerry, I'll start with you on this one. There are lots of ways to look at this. I'm told by some sources that he was very dissatisfied with his role in cabinet, so maybe that's one. But the other would be, you got to have this momentum when you're preparing for an election. And this gives Pierre Polyev some momentum when a star says, yeah, I want to run for you. Yeah, I don't care. Uh, he told the people that he would represent them in Queen's Park. And now he sees what he thinks is uh, the prettier girl, so away he goes. I mean, I, I just uh, we're going to talk about this on my show later. Like, it, it, it's four years. For God's sakes, you can't keep a commitment for four years? Well, and Courtney Betty, this musical chairs is uh, getting to a ridiculous level of city councillors who want to run for federal parliament and uh, MPPs who decide to become mayors. Everybody's swapping jobs. Well, you know, we don't know what's going on internally within the Ontario Conservatives, and and that's the, the issue there. But certainly, I mean, there has to be some level of commitment. And I do think it is going to be, as you pointed out correctly, uh, a big boost for uh, Pierre Polivier to have someone of that stature here in Ontario. Vaz Bednar, what's your thought? I am intrigued by the musical chairs. I think it also really matters for staff, right, and volatility with staff. I think looking ahead to the elections, some people are saying that many people in Ontario will will pick one of the Conservative parties to vote for, and maybe that's kind of part of the putting all the chips in a bag, shaking them, and and seeing where where people go. But I think there are some other stars that might be being courted by the Pierre government, and I can't help but think of... uh, Monty McNaughton and where he's going to be off to next. Yeah, although I have the suspicion Monty McNaughton, like a lot of people, likes the money he can make in the private sector because he's probably making 800 to a million. But yeah, well, some of them say, you know, we could make more money in the private sector. And I always say, well, then do that. Yeah. Um, you know, but I mean, I stick with my idea that they should stick around. But I think that what's happening here for those who might have some desire to go federal, um, they see a blue wave coming across this country in the next election. Well, I mean, people run with the party they think is is going to win, which is why it's very interesting. I've been hearing from a former federal liberal MP who uh, wants to be a counselor to a conservative candidate. And I always knew he was a conservative, but he ran for the liberals because he knew he was going to win as a liberal. Yeah, that kind of thing. Uh, that, that That is more surprising than somebody who's really an NDPer but runs as a liberal because they think that at least you're you know somewhat on the left. If you're really a conservative and you run as a liberal, who is that? What, you want me to name Yes. Them? No. No. <laughs> Why not? That's the most disingenuous thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Okay, because uh, some stuff you get on background. Okay, so former Justice Minister David Lametti has resigned. He's joining a law firm, so he's moving in the other direction. Courtney Betty, you had thoughts on this? Well, it just kind of follows what we're speaking about here. You know, um, the federal liberals, uh, they're in chaos right now. You have Um, liberal politicians in Ontario with all of this criticism on numerous things happening. Um, You know, he was a star, and I think that's the shocking part of it. He was a a star, tremendous potential. 
You also have the issue now he's joined the private sector and he does bring a lot of that knowledge of government uh, to a law firm uh, of Faskins that does do a lot of work for the government right now. Vas Bednar, I don't want to dwell on this forever because it is a bit inside politics, but this dovetails nicely with a column that I was quoting from earlier in the show, where effectively it's a Globe and Mail columnist who says the liberals may not have enough runway to get rid of Justin Trudeau, so they're stuck with him and the whole thing may blow up. That, that the whole thing may blow up and how this connects to Lametti. I mean, I like that Lametti is going to a law firm to work on Indigenous law. I yeah. think we have a real challenge in Canada supporting our politicians in second, third, and fourth acts. And I appreciate that he's not taking a fake job at a big bank or at a telecom firm to just lobby the same government that he was in. So I appreciate the move that he's making and it, it's uh, that he can be open about his disappointment and candid about his shift from cabinet in instead of euphemizing and, and saying he's going to spend more time with his family, I also think is really cool. It's really honest. Uh, police racking up $7.5 million in overtime bills since the 7th of October, policing more than 300 protests in the city of Toronto. Jerry, I know the Sun describes that as a whopping rate. I don't know if it's whopping. I mean, when you got a $1.3 billion budget, maybe it's spare change. Well, uh, not all those protests were illegal, by the way. I think they could have saved some money by shutting down the overpass protest a lot sooner than they did, for instance. It was illegal, so shut it down, and then you, you won't be spending more and more money. Um, I don't know. Uh, I guess you could look at this and say, well, that just shows they need more officers. But sometimes sustaining overtime is the right thing to do because you aren't taking on yet another person who needs a pension and you know all of the other expenses that go along. I, I'm, I'm just kind of spitballing both sides of this thing because sure. I don't know that this is an unreasonable figure. Yeah, I mean, Courtney, that's kind of my impression here as well. And to say that, well, that means all those protests were a new public nuisance and why are we on the hook for them? I mean, people going to protest. Well, and that's the thing. And I, and I don't I don't agree with Jerry on the idea, hey, we should have shut them down earlier. When you're in policing, you've got to make a decision. You know, public safety is number one, but you've got to figure out, can I, you know, on the long run, not immediately shut it down, but on the long run, is anything going to be um, lives are going to be saved. That's really the issue. Um, if you look at policing right now, I've always found it interesting. If you're a police officer and you file a charge and you go to court, you go on your day off and you get paid time and a half. Um, this is not an unusual situation and the cost is not really that much compared to what uh, what the issue was at the time. Well, and Vas Bednar, without mixing things up too much, I do find it interesting that sometimes the very same people who say that it was wrong to shut down the convoy protests are the most vocal about saying, shut down these pro-Palestinian protests. Yeah, I think that's a really good element to hone in on. I also think this sticker shock elements of, you know, trying to break out public services is a kind of dangerous road and a slippery slope. And we're starting to see it in our healthcare system too, right? Um, that's not what we want to parse out. You know, this event cost X amount, therefore it's not worth it, or we overspent, or we have to find some sort of way, as Jerry was pointing out, you know, okay, we're not hiring more full-time people, but we also don't want uh, to introduce a gig economy to our police forces. Well, John, just another point there. I think we've got to stop linking, you know, the idea that 911, if you call 911, it's all linked to everything else that's happening right now. And we need to figure out and make sure that if you have an emergency at your home, there's going to be an officer there within a reasonable period of time. 
And that's the message that keeps on coming from the police. And I think that's a wrong message to be sending out to the police, to the public, that we're not that we're not safe. Not surprising the federal liberals are criticizing the premier of Alberta, Daniel Smith, and criticizing her in particular for hanging out with Tucker Carlson. But I also fail to see what the buy-in with Tucker Carlson was. I mean, this is a guy who cost his employer $800 million. Vas Bednar, your thoughts? I think it's really tricky when we look at how Canadians uh, want to or find appeal with uh, personalities like this and the kind of spillover. Courtney Betty, uh, he appeared with two other figures, Conrad Black and uh, Professor uh, Peter, uh, whatever his name is now, the uh, psychologist who's become an Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson. I uh, thought he changed his name. I was like, what do you mean his name now? Is this like he's like Prince now? Well, it wouldn't surprise me. He's a very strange character. But again, Courtney Betty, it's it's odd company to keep. Well, it is odd company, but number one, he's probably got paid a lot to appear at the event. But, John, I do see the sort of Trumpian mentality seeping into Canada. And the fact that we now have a politician uh, that, that is very active sharing the stage, that is concerning because it is happening. And it, it's going to have implications for Canada down the road. Okay. Jerry Yeager? Uh, if I were Daniel Smith, I wouldn't care a whit what anybody in any province not called Alberta thinks about that situation. In California, they're looking at legislation that would make your car, disarm your car effectively. You could do 10 miles an hour over the limit wherever you are, but after that, the car would no longer accelerate. Jerry? Well, I would not want to see it uh, take away pickup because I'm already beyond frustrated with the people who try to get out on the gardener from an off-ramp going like 32 kilometers an hour. For God's sake, <laughs> hit the gas, get up to speed. Um, so there's that. Um, I, I don't know. This is a thing where the cars would have to be tied into GPS, I guess. I don't think that's difficult. I mean, your phone always knows how fast you're going. If you've got um, uh, one of the map programs on, you look down, it'll tell you how fast you're going. And it'll tell you what the speed limit is, wherever it is you are. So this isn't going to be complicated. It's just whether people will be freaked out about it. The, the, the thing you'd have to do is explain to people, I guess, why you think you have a right to go more than 10 miles per hour over the speed limit, which is, what, 16 kilometers, something like that? Yeah, and Courtney, we can argue in favor of freedom, but freedom here would be freedom to break the law. Well, I, I think you should always give some flexibility. So instead of 110, I would probably think of 120. But they're also having issues there in California in terms of the amount of people that have been killed as a result of accidents. So this is an attempt to address that specific issue. And eventually, you know, I, I, I can see this becoming the wave of the future. And in Vas Badenar, worth noting, if you've ever driven in Los Angeles, nobody can speed there anyway, because it's impossible. <laughs> There's too many traffic jams. But um shoo, he's here all week. Um, try the wheel. <laughs> We've we've you know we've talked about this potential technology before, right? And how how we engage with technologies and where the limits and boundaries are. I didn't know that it already existed and that parents could have it uh, on vehicles for teenagers in certain states. And I think it's an interesting element to talk about. But again, that kind of power, what kind of flexibility people have when driving, I wonder. And I've always wondered why you know, the speedometer can go so very high on a normal vehicle when it, like, never actually makes sense to drive that fast. Well, some of us have tried it out. But anyway, how uh, fast <laughs> have you gone in your car? What's the fastest you've gone? 150. 
Are we talking kilometers or miles yeah. here? No, kilometers. 150 <laughs> kilometers? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm, everyone knows I'm a lead foot. I've gone 90 miles an hour on my motorcycle, to be honest and okay. upfront about it. Not in a school zone. <laughs> Not in a school zone, no. <laughs> okay, that's been our Courtney Betty and Jerry Agar. Catch the round table, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.